So we're here. It's an STC Fit Learning podcast. podcast. We have our amazing headsets that we've been waiting for that we've since used and failed. We are wearing unicorns. Well, I it's used and failed. So <laughs> now we are... Have them just plugged into the laptop because Tam's not here and we don't know how to Yeah, so we probably, the sound quality is probably going to be just the same because we're not, because Tam's not here. Yeah. And we can't make it sound awesome. Yes. So. And we, we currently have a camera that's mounted on a portable speaker looking very precarious, <laughs> like that. But uh, we a, have on video. An air quote stand. Yeah. <laughs> we have uh, ghetto studio. sound and stuff. Sound and headsets. So we should be fine. We certainly should. So uh, how's Gold Coast, bro? We obviously talked on the podcast about how awesome it was going to be and that you were going to come and stay forever. Yeah. And then you realised we were all driving home, so you bailed on us. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't necessarily bail because you were driving home. <laughs> Just the accumulation of the workload was probably a bit too much it for was, the time yeah. frame. With a compounding factor of the fact that we drove back. Yeah, but... The fact that you drove back was probably a pretty big influencer on top of the workload. <laughs> and like uh, having to go to Sydney in a month for two weekends. So Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was good. Uh, I like warmer weather. I mean, people who know me well know that I don't really like the cold even though I live in Melbourne. But I think the cost of living in Melbourne because it's an amazing place is that it's cold. Yeah. yeah. There's a gimme and a gotcha to everything. Yeah. And like I say all the time, it's like, if it was hot, tw- the 25 million people that live in Australia would all centralise themselves on the southeast coast. Yeah. And that's it. So, yeah, but it's really good. Good to key. Good to see the gyms. Um, good to see, like, what the lifestyle's like a little bit up there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did like the, the short time I was up there. Yeah, fucking gyms, man. Yeah, I can't get over how... Shout out to EMF. Yeah. Um, where we trained while up there. Just phenomenal. Yeah. Like, like that Narang. Yeah. Yeah, I actually like. I think Kuma is better. Yeah, um, just the I guess the maybe gimmicks, I'm biased because the gimmicks of the Narang one is just like yeah, you know, like we talk about all the time, like the the gym with the pool. Everyone's just like, oh, that's mad. It's yeah. like, are you going to use the pool? Probably not. But yeah. it's just like the the gimmicks, like with the outdoor CrossFit kind of area. Yeah, then they had an indoor one, which didn't yeah. make any sense, but whatever. Um, and the pool and the oxygen rooms. Um, yeah, it's just. Incredible. Um, just the machines, like, yeah, sounding really bodybuilder-like right now, but still, like, it's just so awesome when you have a lot of machines to work with. Even as a strength, that strength focus, though, being able to load comfortably. Yeah. Like, you want to go do your isolation or, like, compound machine work not in pain. Yeah. And it's like, I'm already probably in pain in the other shit, so, like, yeah. I want this to feel nice. Yeah. Um, Maybe that was cool the reason I couldn't walk for a week. <laughs> like, I still don't reckon I fully recovered and then I had strained legs again. <laughs> so it's just crazy. just to explain that, so um, Jason probably hasn't had the best block of training in the last couple of months. Yeah. Um, decided that we'd train together and I have had a pretty solid, really dog already. <laughs> so my indie has really missed me as well. Um, and has been at home by herself during the day, which is unusual for her. So she's very excited to talk to us. Worst timing for this, Indy. On your bed. On your bed. On your bed. Go on. Pick. Only one episode today. On your bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Jace decided to jump in and train with us, uh, potentially forgetting that we had 
four flights of stairs to get in and out of our room. <laughs> and every time I went up those stairs, my fucking soul was just like taken from me. No, going down was probably worse because um, stabilization. Yeah, like yeah. the fear of just eating shit every step. And it was like pretty sure it was like three or four flights. So it was just like the likelihood of me fucking falling and smashing my face on the ground was pretty high. And having you guys just hysterically laugh at me every single time we went up and down it was very, very, very. Uh, very yeah. funny. You did get thrown in the deep end, obviously, hanging out with two powerlifters. I couldn't let you guys outlift me. That was and then <laughs> going to train with another powerlifter, it was very, very powerlifting-esque uh, while we are up there. There was not a chance. The, the only thing I had in my head when we were doing that workout was like, there was not a fucking chance that you were going to just outwork me. Like, I was like, I don't fucking care how sore I get the week <laughs> after. I was like, you are not outworking me. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I had really sore legs, but I was still there at the end of the session. Yeah. It's like, could I we do it tomorrow? It's like, oh, no, I feel a bit sick, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, man, I feel sick. I don't think I'm going to do legs till next Sunday. Yeah. Jason, that's what? Let's yeah. go. Uh, I've got check. But it probably was that in conjunction with like just using really good gear, like the pendulum squat, like wanted to use one for a long time, don't have access. I don't even know where I'd be able to get access to one around near where I live. Not out your way. We have one on ASP. Yeah, like I think I'd have to go to Derrimut, maybe in Caroline Springs, yeah. which is still 30 minutes. Like, like to use one machine, I'm like, yeah, yeah. just use this machine. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then just like being able to tweak the, the leg press. and Because uh, the volume, like when I look at it, like the volume wasn't really anything different. And even like the loading used was more probably just the fact that the machines were that comfortable or adjustable or whatever it was that I could, yeah, just like centralize all the work into the muscle. And definitely an increased range of motion, I think, too. Oh, like having better equipment because you feel more stable, you can go into better places. Yeah, like at that V squat, um, like we, st- I, like even the one that I have access to, it's not, it was kind of like the first version of the V squat where they didn't use it both ways. Yeah. So you know how like people just worked it out that you could use it the other way? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I still can't get as deep in that one as I could in the one at EMF. So that probably contributed, the range of motion definitely contributed to it because it's, well, it's essentially more work, isn't it? Because it's like weight times distance equals work. So if you have greater range of motion, the work is greater. Yeah. It's probably what really fucked me. (laughs) (laughs) That and the the no elevator being on the top floor of a fucking apartment block. Yes. So let's never do that again. Yeah, I'd, it's going to be one of the questions that I ask before we leave or before I commit to going. It's like, all right, so where are we staying? What level is the apartment <laughs> on? Is there a lift? Are we, when do we train legs? What's the volume like? Yeah. And yeah. Then I'll decide if I feel like coming or not. <laughs> yeah, Aaron and I needed a rest after packing the car. This is yeah. like so much shit to oh, carry yeah. And like, I don't know how you did that by yourself. Oh, you were by yourself when you went up there. No, nah, Amy. Yeah, Amy was okay. there as well, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I'm back in town. Um, this comes out this Sunday, and next Sunday we're doing our first public workshop, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, we've been teaching and delivering level up and all that kind of stuff, but first time opening up to anyone to yeah, come. first workshop to the general public, I guess yeah. call it. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be cool. session. So, we thought um, we'd do a little shameless promo. As to what we're going to talk yeah, about. And yeah, definitely. 
hopefully, uh, even if you're not in Melbourne, you'll still get some value out of just the podcast, let alone the workshop as well. Um, And then if we have enough interest, we might think about, obviously we'll have Tam on the job, so we'll think about putting out the videos and stuff somewhere, in some way, shape, the content. It'd be good probably, yeah, for that. But then, yeah, I guess long-term, like ideally I would probably just like to go wherever you guys want us to come and yeah. present. You know, yeah, it's not, you can get enough people where they're there. Yeah, it's, I think it's more of the just the amount of people. I don't really, there's nothing else that's, that would stop me from going. Definitely. Like, I, don't definitely, I don't do this don't do this shit for the money. Yeah. Definitely do not. It's like all I want to do is get in front of a large group of people. I was talking to Amy about this today. So when I get in a large group of people, I just share yeah. my knowledge. I just share. Yeah. Um, if someone just tell me like it's going to be you'll break even, I'm going anywhere. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's just gotten to that point now. It's like just put just time under the bar, time with clients, yeah. time reading, all the countless endless conversations and um, I call them uh, debates. Like we were going the other day, I feel like we had a debate yeah. about like, you know, <laughs> yeah. this, but at the end of it, we came out with something really cool yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. It's like all of that stuff put together is yeah. what I just want to get out in front of lots of people and go, this is why you should do all of this stuff. Yeah. And this one in particular is talking about program. Yeah. So this is probably my, at least at the moment, my favorite topic. Yeah. Um, just love it. Just like. It's, it's an opportunity to geek out and coming yeah. from, I think, that engineering kind of background that I have, I like quantifying shit. Yeah. Um, even though, like, as we go through it today, there's, there's never a perfect model and you still need to use data and feedback and stuff, but being yeah. able to get things as close to 99% chance this is going to be pretty damn close, just like that shit. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I love uh, I love how we've found a way to just go from someone who hasn't ever written a program before mm. and then someone like you and I can go through the same steps. Yeah. How the program comes out the other side is obviously a combination of like experience, intuition, yeah. but all this raw data is still the same. Yeah. Um, I like how... Like that shit excites me because yeah, if you just if, draw a line in the continuity of each program, yeah. that's what makes you a good trainer as well. Like I feel like a good program can really lift, like you can kind of make up for other places where you lack, yeah. like especially at the start. It's like if you actually really know how to write a good program and, you know, providing you don't select movements where you're not proficient in teaching the person how to do them. But if you, if you are not as technically proficient in exercise selection, you can make that up mm. a little bit with good program design. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that actually really excites me. Yeah. And I think it's the fastest way to becoming good too. Like if you have a system that you follow all the time, you learn faster than just like, I'm going to throw a um, German volume program at you. I'm going to throw a lactic program at you. I'm going to throw this. It's like, if there's no underlying system underneath, takes a long time to pick up all those pieces. Yeah. Whereas if you have the system first and you're like, okay, I'm going to apply GBC training to this model. I'm going to train, apply lactic, the, the principle of lactic acid training to this model. You can start to see how they interact and work and exercise selection and all that type of stuff, how it all comes together. Yeah. So instead of it taking you 12 months, two years to really figure out 
how to do intuitive put intuitively put together a program. Yeah. You may be able to do that in six months. Yeah. Based on having that foundational structure of the data that's coming back to you all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Just understanding like fundamental principles to training and I talk about principles all the time. So principles are king. Yeah. But it's just like the hows and whys so you can rationalize to everyone what's going on. Yeah. It's like why are we doing this much and why are we doing this? And it's like, okay, so we've I hypothesized that this is where it's at and then it's like we'll just review what's happened and go from there. Yeah. But it's not just three t- three sets of ten pulls. Yeah. Like yeah. which is pretty much what you see or what you get taught at the start is like yeah. you know, just five if you want to get strong, mm-hmm. ten if you want to be awesome. in the middle and yeah. if you want to do metabolic stuff like fifteen and stuff. It's like why do we do three? Why do we do why don't we do four or like, what about if this person has this or, you know, have we taken into consideration like lifestyle factors and, you know, um, training age of the athlete and, you know, other considerations and yeah. all those kind of things. Like, I feel like we this is a place where we've been able to just hone everything together and go, this is a really good place to start. Yeah. 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 So starting off then, so where, where we want to kind of begin um, something we don't didn't have the whiteboard because we kind of take it for granted in that every single STC fit client has a program. Yeah. Um, is why you should even have a program. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, is summarized as simply as possible. It's basically the body will adapt to um, pretty much anything that it's exposed to. And the more frequently you expose something to a stimulus, let's say, the better your body will adapt to that stimulus. And also the longer you will keep those adaptations. So if you're a personal trainer or just like a a gym goer and your current program is like, I do chest Monday, back Tuesday, etc., but like you don't actually have a set rep scheme, loading percentages, um, exercise selection and there's no actual physical program that you go in and you repeat re- over time, like week to week, then you're actually missing out on A, how much you're adapting to that workout over time and your training over time. So if you're doing the same thing for six weeks, you get a better result by doing the same thing yeah. weekly for six weeks than if you did it. Then if you were to everyone's fucking sick in Melbourne right now. You got sick, you couldn't train for two weeks. The likelihood that you would keep those adaptations has actually reduced just because your training has been too varied up to that point. Yeah. Um, or say, for example, like we're talking about with the two different programming models, like doing a GBC, then going into a lactic program or something like that. Um, your adaptations from the first program will last longer, deeper into that new yeah, stimulus. Exactly. You'll be able to hold on to that if you've been on a program for a period of time. Yeah. So if you're trying to maximize client results um, or results for yourself, not having a program is like, it's just shooting yourself in the foot before you start. Yeah. I think um, as coaches, it's really important just to fulfill a major part of our agreement, which was, excuse me, which is just setting the client up for success and providing structure like they're coming to you because they want X result. So you going, these are the things that we're going to work on for a period of time and you're going to do X on your own and we're going to do these sessions together. Yeah. That's 
a big part of like why you're there. Yeah. So all those things that Jen spoke about before are really, really important. Um, and then the other thing is like, yeah, we want, they're like your, your daily or your weekly practice for your sessions, yeah. for your exercise for the week. It's like, you need to do these, get really good at them. And then over time we'll manage what happens and this will most likely move you towards the goal that you set at the start. And that's why you came to me in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So for those people that are coaches, not having a program is essentially not having the framework to move the person towards the goalposts. Yeah. And you kind of just coming in and guessing. Yeah. And like, I don't know about you guys, but Ben and I don't like to put too much guesswork into it. If we have a choice to cover things that we don't need to guess. Mm. There's always an element of guesswork, I guess, from some point. Educated guesses, yeah. Yeah, like, um, but yeah, just not covering things because you either don't have the motivation to sit down and think about what your client needs and what's the best for them, um, or you have this fear that putting a program together for someone is going to, you know, essentially make you obsolete so they'll leave. Like, if you're doing those things, like not helping the client and not helping yourself either, like understanding principles of programming is a big thing um, about being a coach and being a personal trainer like where you come out of the industry you can prescribe exercise um, and teach it yeah really yeah they're the only real things you can if you wanted to summarize it so you want to get proficient at teaching the next thing you want to do is go okay so how do I put all this on a sheet of paper or on a program template or whatever it is um, and move a person over not just six weeks, mm. 12 months yeah. towards what they need to do. And once we hit that, like, how do we move on from there? What's the next level? Yeah. Um, and how do we change the programming as the client gets better mm. or the goal changes too? Yeah. And then, yeah, I just think it's an invaluable skill set to have. Yeah. So when we first have a client, um, come to us, I'll, I'll actually typically do this during the consultation phase yeah. um, because I've only got the, being online now, it's like a one session, one video call thing. So getting this information at the start, if you're face-to-face, you can probably do this like once you've signed them up if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, when doesn't really matter, but it's it's building, um, we call it a client profile. I have heard it re- referred to as a needs analysis. Um, whatever you want to kind of go with. Yeah. But it's basically building an idea of what the client is objectively as, as much as possible yeah. to allow us to make those educated decisions around programming. And all of these will tie into stuff later on. Um, so the things we look at in a client profile is the age, sex, height, weight, strength standard, experience, diet, sleep, stress, and then um, drugs in there as well. So age, obviously we'll try and run through these and not like expand them forever. Yeah. But age is obviously gonna give you an idea of recovery capacity, ability to build muscle, um, all of that type of stuff can be an indicator of lifestyle and stresses and stuff as well. Yeah. So typically speaking, the younger the athlete, the better they're gonna be able to recover. Yeah. Gender, um, look, technically it's sex, right? Biological gender. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Let's just go with sex. Um, so the sex of the client is going to influence their recovery, 
it may influence the way you program. I, I tend not to very often. Um, like there's obviously the theory that like women can usually handle short rest periods and that type of stuff. The yeah. way I program my rest now is kind of like make sure you can do the same amount of reps in the same way next time. It depends so, on the goal too. Yeah. Like they need to get strong. Yeah, that's right. Still going to adhere to the principles of strength. So, yeah. yeah. Um, height is an interesting one. Um, I remember hearing this from um, Chad the first time. I was kind of like, oh, that's that makes a lot of sense. So height is just talk thinking about like how far shit has yeah. to move. So that work thing that we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So if you're six foot three deadlifting versus five foot two deadlifting, yeah. the weight times the distance moved. Yeah, that's going to be greater. The recovery demand from that yeah. movement is. Yeah, I like higher. it. I like it a lot. Um, so the next one is weight. Body so, weight. Yeah how, yeah, how much you weigh. Personally, um, strength standards, the stronger you are, typically there's like a, it seems to be a, I guess a, a bell curve almost of like you have a point where as you increase strength, you can kind of do more. Yeah. Then you get to the point of strength where, okay, you're actually in a point now that if you max out, that shit takes a long time to recover from. Yeah. So it actually starts to dissipate a little bit. Yeah. Um, so considering that, Experience, experience is one. It's probably the hardest one to determine, I found, because yeah. some people can have trained in the gym for two years but trained like shit. Yeah. Um, some people can come from, like, if I have a do a consult and they're like, oh, I used to be a gymnast, I'm like, fuck, all right, you move well. Yeah. Like, you have great spatial awareness, good control. Even if you've never been under a barbell before, I'm pretty confident I can throw you under one and you'll squat. Yeah. Like, it's going to be okay. Yep. So making considerations around where the other experience might be, field athletes, um, sports, in the gym itself. Um, I've had a lot of people be like, yeah, I lift weights and I can squat and deadlift. Cool. Um, where have you done that? Oh, in pump class. Yeah. yeah. Like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, so just being aware of that. Diet, huge implicants, yeah. implication on recovery, same yeah. sleep, same stress. Um Drugs, I've actually started considering splitting them into two. Um, okay. So into a positive, or not necessarily a positive, but an increase in recovery capacity um, from taking performance enhancers or something like that. Okay. And then the negative health impacts from taking recreational drugs, which is something that most personal trainers don't actually look into. Yeah. Um, but it's something you need to be aware of, whether that's alcohol or um yeah, party drugs and stuff like that. It's obviously going to have an implication on their overall recovery. So that'd be a really interesting conversation with someone you've only met once. Yeah, I'm, I'm not afraid of it, hey. And I think it's the delivery. It's the same thing as like males asking about periods. Like yeah, if yeah. you ask like it's a big deal, then it'll be awkward if you just like, do you take recreational drugs? Like if it's like that, it's like I've asked this question yeah, four yeah. times a day, I don't give a shit. Yeah, that's usually okay. Um, whereas it'd be the same thing. It'd be like if, if you were to like, oh, like do you like regularly get your period? Like the person on the other end of that, like that made me feel uncomfortable just saying. Yeah, like yeah. That. <laughs> it's just like is your cycle regular? And yeah. Like no. It's like great. Like that's a really easy conversation. Yeah. Um, Devils in the delivery, eh? Yeah, exactly right. So moving on to the recovery score. Um, so Jace, maybe like what we, 
what we established as a recovery score and, and why. So all those all those uh, objective markers in that client profile have a value, whether it be positive or negative, um, and that will accumulate to a numerical value. Yeah, and that is a I guess a multiplier of the baselines of I guess strength volume or hypertrophy volume. Yeah. So we add that multiplier onto those and that is a consideration for the amount of total work that that client could be subjected to in a program from us. So it's like, cool, this is the amount of work that this person we're going to start with, no different to uh, this is how many calories you need and this is what your physical activity multiplier is and this is what your macros are. It's like, cool, hypothesis says X and we're going with that for this. This is the how many sets equation of that. Yeah, and I think people are really comfortable with that, like using equations to work out um, guesstimate of calorie intake. Yeah. People, uh, it's funny, I, I speak to a lot of coaches about volume landmarks and they're kind of like, oh, but it, it's like so variable that so depends. It's like, yeah, cool, so does food. Yeah. Like it's, I'm not saying that like the volume landmarks are the end of the conversation. Yeah. It's like, that's a starting point of something to think about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, your recovery score is, it'll come out anywhere between usually minus one to like plus three or four yeah. uh, on average across the people that we work with. I said that this morning. Oh, really? Exactly that. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, good, to be, good to see we're consistent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's literally just based off, like obviously Jason and I haven't discussed that, no, just no. what we've seen in the data yeah. over the last 12 months of using them. Um, so then we need to obviously establish the client. We're considering the client's goal. Uh, yeah. We would have established it earlier, but starting to consider that. And we go in one of two directions now. So we're either going towards volume landmarks. Uh, we're going towards volume landmarks. And we're either going towards um, those for hypertrophy or those for strength. Yeah. Um, so just an idea of like how do we apply volume landmarks to our hypertrophy client. Yeah, so this is something that I've toyed with, played with um, a little bit. And I did take into consideration like Mike's landmarks with RP, and we've had lots and lots of discussions about it. Yes, I've taken them into consideration. Yes, I've programmed based around those. However, what I've tended to have done now is kind of worked back off the principles of hypertrophy programming and what the current evidence is just based around you know frequency and yeah. uh, sets uh, per muscle group in a session, and then gone. Okay, so I'm going to work back from those. So I like the idea. I think the frequency model, just in my head, I like the idea of it. I think you can take it too far, definitely. But I like the idea of like just a little bit of work every session to maximize effort and intent yeah. um, across the board. I like that idea. Um, taking into consideration that. You know, they roughly have suggested that about 12 sets in a session is per muscle group is probably the maximum amount enough that you just get a taper in performance. Mm -hmm. So just take those into consideration and go, right, um, you know, I'm going to divvy up this much volume to whether it's quads, uh, chest, uh, legs, whatever, based off that total recovery score and that volume amount. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, work off that. I tend to find that if I want to work on a particular muscle group, the frequency will be high. So I'll go with more frequency there. Yeah, it would make sense. Again, if you're following those rules, like 
you can only do 10 to 12 effective sets in one session. If you want to improve a particular muscle, it makes sense. You need to increase volume of training. Yeah. So you, you're capped at those 10 to 12 sets. So yeah. You're going to have to find it somewhere else. You're going to increase the frequency of your training. And there's most definitely people like, so we are very clear. Yes, people are going to be able to do more than 12. Hmm. Those people might have the luxury of being at the gym for three hours. Yeah. My clients don't. Yeah. Or so. they, the flip side of that, they may actually not train as hard as they think they do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just giving people context. But yeah, so we go with, um, I like the idea of that high frequency method, especially like for your, I guess, more natural athletes. So I guess just that um, consistent stimulation of those muscles, just keeping the, um, the, processes of building muscle you know kind of active we'll just kind of leave it at that like yeah. it's just that continuous uh, stimulation of the muscle um and then yeah kind of just go right these are the the muscle groups that are really strong and prominent right now so we obviously will taper away from them that person either has good muscle mind muscle connection good access to equipment that feels you know the, the muscles feel real good in those positions um or they just had a lot of work in that area and they've just overworked those muscle groups so we can kind of like take a little bit of work away from those and give it to somewhere else. Um, or if it's just an even split and we just want that, like, I guess we'll call it systemic or global hypertrophy, which is just like the whole body. Then yeah. it's like, cool. You just, again, you know, right. This is the frequency of how I want the muscle groups to be stimulated, whether it's just twice a week or, yeah. um, you know, or a density model of just doing like, you know, chest, back, shoulders, arms, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just like, you know, adding volume where you need to. So from a hypertrophy standpoint, basically you've got preset sets per body part per week. Yeah. Then the recovery score. Um, so we actually split those body parts into um, prime and prime secondary. Yeah. So your prime are things that basically they always need to be trained to maintain. So think like chest, back, yeah. quads, um, Lateral belts, hamstrings. Yeah, so things that need attention. Then your secondary group are things that you kind of train by accident anyway. So like rear delts, biceps. Anterior deltoid. Yeah. Posterior deltoid. Traps. Yeah. Calves. I think calves actually have a minute of um, okay, so you're only like isolation in there. Yeah, I can't remember the morphs. Yeah, way, but it's just those ones that like kind of get trained as a secondary from the prime movement. Yeah. Um, and we don't, as a potentially as a beginner, don't have to necessarily focus on those. Yeah. Um, we get enough stimulation through just working with those prime muscle groups um, at the start of your journey into you know physique training. Let's call it. And, and then, you, sorry, if you had a limited. Um, time to train per week so you're only doing say you're doing three sessions you've only got an hour to train obviously the volume is going to be pushed towards those prime 100% movements if you've got plenty of time yep. then sweet let's look at the, into the 20 sets of calves or some shit a week yeah exactly I think um, moving on the continuum from intermediate like beginner to intermediate intermediate to advanced what it more is is your ability to take more sets more volume and then you as an athlete and then i guess as a coach assessing the client's physique and going cool you're an intermediate you need more volume but that extra volume can be pushed into the areas where you're weakest because you're really proficient at these prime movements so that should be enough to keep the development where it is and the added extra bit of work is to bringing up the weak parts yep and it's essentially just like each mesocycle 
assessing whether you've hit the mark and the physique is looking the best and either you just divide it up evenly or it's like, cool, we're going to work this now. Yeah. Overreach on legs, overreach on shoulders, overreach on chest. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of just continuously work with what the weaknesses are. Yeah. I think that that's probably the best way to think about it. Yeah. And so we have to take the volume landmarks per body part. Then we add, um, we would have a total set idea from that. We would then add a multiplier of the recovery score to yes. that yep. and then apply the, that individual recovery score across um, the body parts as well. So you've got increases in volume from being able to recover well or decreases if you can't recover well. Then yep. you've got increases based on um, time of training too. So like beginning to medium advanced trainings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that pretty much sums up how we would begin to quantify. It's a really good starting point, I think. And then you're know, just adhering to the fundamental principles of, principles of program design and knowing your client mm. is actually like where, and just your, the time you've been a trainer and who's influenced you. Yeah. The magic of the program starts to come to life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we could both, we both use this format. You send me a program. It's like just, the way you look at the map, yeah, we call it, yeah, um, is totally different. Where I look at the map, so the yeah. program's different, but the outcome's the same. Yeah, hundred percent. So strength-wise, things are a little different. Um, I, I am a big believer in that training for a strength outcome is different to training for a hypertrophy outcome. Yeah. So the one Even thing though you the, need hypertrophy for strength. Yeah. So the one thing I probably want to, I guess, maybe unpack together. Did talk about this today just before we dive in this because we're going to talk about the the multipliers of recovery for the reps and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is we're assuming from a hypertrophy perspective that all movements are equal because we're moving because we talk about the strength of like a squat and a leg extension, yeah, in terms of effort, they're different, yeah. So I, I had a thought so about this. Let's unpack that in the exercise types, okay, stuff, yes, yeah, yeah. okay, cool. Um, so yeah, sticking with the volume landmarks for now. So the way we apply them for a strength, um, client athlete is instead of looking at body parts, we look at movements. So you've got squat pattern, pressing pattern, pulling pattern, like row patterns, um, and then hinging patterns. Then the next step from there is we actually have programming, um, blocks and how in the intensity is going to play out in that block so during a strength hypertrophy program yep. the intensity is going to be lower than a peaking program yeah so we have four categories um so you have uh strength the yeah. strength hypertrophy sorry hybrid strength and then a peaking block yeah so the volume landmarks for each of those decrease as you go along so the higher the intensity the lower the amount of sets that you're going to yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, what we've also done with that is, is kind of what Jason's starting to talk about there is like start to identify um, what types of exercises and stuff you're putting in each one Yeah. Uh, in terms of you're not going to do a low bar squat at a high intensity for lots of reps. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, with the volume landmarks, your recovery score is it's super simple. We just take your recovery score and then we add it to the volume lemma yeah. um, per movement, and then that will give you how much work you need to do per week. Yeah. So 
Um, as Jace just touched on, I'll, I'll stay with strength and then we'll yeah. tie it into how that will apply to hypertrophy. Um, so we, we, we've coined it as exercise types. Um, so we've, we've broken it down into prime, accessory, compound, and isolation. So let's talk about in the squat, for example, the prime movement is your comp squat. Yeah. So that's a low bar so most squat, of the you time. Get strong. Yeah. Like move the most amount of weight. Correct. Here. Yep. So um, that's going to be your primary squat. Accessory might be, if you're a low bar squatter, a high bar squat, a safety squat bar. So um, a movement that makes the prime, directly makes the prime better. Yeah. It has very close crossover. Yeah. Um, and you can, you can use it like, yeah, to make you better at the movement as well as hypertrophy, everything that's involved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, moving then to a compound, slightly less direct carryover. It's more like a GPP for the prime movement. Yeah. So I like to think about things like split squats, lunges, step ups, leg press, uh, leg press. Yeah. You can put that in there. Yeah. Um, are, are those kind of compound movements? Yeah. And then isolation. You could choose leg press could probably flip between the two. Yeah. Um, loading and <clears throat> that's right. Um, so isolation really for quads is like leg extension. Yeah. Um, unless you introduce some other kind of variable, it's which we can mess around with, but yeah. primarily it's going to be a leg extension. And then you could put a leg press in there depending on how you executed it and the, the overall context of the program yeah. and the athlete. So considerations there. So for a, just a, a take-home example, like during our hypertrophy phases, we have no prime movements. You just don't train the lifts at that point yeah because the goal is to get as much volume in as possible and the the fatigue from a <clears throat> volume used by a prime movement would be better served by doing more work in an accessory yeah so we've assigned um basically a fatigue score to each of those yeah so like prime is one so yeah accessory is 0.85 and we drop another 15 uh, or 0.15 and drop another yeah. 0.15 as we come down. So the isolation, I think, is like 0.65. So essentially, you can almost do double the amount of isolation work in to equate to the same uh, volume. Yeah, a level of effort. Compared to doing a prime one. Yeah. So if you were going to write a program and you had assigned to you 20 sets of squats for that week, you could do 20 sets of squats. So you could do four days a week and squat five sets, or you could actually on, on paper actually have closer to say 30, 35 sets, but it's going to be split across accessories, compounds, and isolations. Yeah. So we've actually formulated a way to, based on what program you're in, actually assign percentages of where the volume should come from. Yeah. So like we said, the 0% of prime movements, um, in a hypertrophy, then I think it's like, maybe 40, 30, 20, I think, if that math works out, or 40, 40, 20. Uh, Something like that. 40, 40, 20. Yeah, I don't know the off the top of my head. But yeah, so that's um, a way of like, again, it's it's super quantifiable when it comes to the strength stuff. Now, the question you asked was like, well, what what considerations do I make for a hypertrophy client? And that's a little bit... uh, we haven't honed that down as deeply, um, whether we will in the future or not. We haven't yet. Yeah. But 
the typically it takes that little bit more intuition when it comes to a physique program and just the consideration of like, if I'm, you know, you're probably not going to high bar squat with a physique client. Yeah. Really, unless they're like not very strong and that's their primary movement uh, or they're, they're, they're better squat and they're in that back to our squat um, podcast that we did. Like, yeah, if they're in that beginner to novice range, then maybe. Yeah. But outside of that, it's like you should be probably high barring because there's less fatigue, better result. Yeah. So it makes more sense to stay there. Then if you lean to about um, like periodization and stuff later, but understanding where you're going to get that volume from um, yeah. across a program needs some intelligent thought as well. Yeah. So is this, now we're talking like a squat is not a leg extension from a hypertrophy perspective? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So the way I was trying to unpack this this morning to one of our coaches, my client, yeah, was that you could potentially differ them because... In hyper, the goal of a physique client, and I guess you know, translating to hypertrophy specifically, mm-hmm. is flying really high to the sun in terms of that proximity to failure. So the yeah. level of effort is still the same. Yeah, it's just that person's two reps from failure in a leg extension, as they are two reps from failure in a in a, in a leg press. Yeah, there, there would still be an element of. Well, systemic fatigue. Oh, 100%, I was going to say, but the trade-off then is that you walk out of a leg extension and, you know, you could probably shake yourself down in about 120 seconds. Yeah. Where a squat, you're probably still, you know, lying on the floor, um, you know, praying for the next set. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that is, that would always be the thing that's up in the air yeah. for, uh, yeah, just quantifying the volume and a strength uh, from a physique perspective. Yeah. Um, but then I guess the way, the reason why, not even then, I was going to say the reason why we would manage it more in a strength perspective is just to manage their total level of fatigue, but then that's still really important from a hypertrophy perspective. Yeah, definitely. Well. I, think, I think you could apply, you could almost apply those same numbers um, yeah. to a physique program. Yeah. Um, and I, it sounds like once we hang up from this podcast, that's probably, yeah, probably going to talk about that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there, there is definitely a way to quantify it. Um, and there needs to be consideration taken, given to a program of like, just even just um, intuitively think about if you were to do five sets of squats on Monday, and then I asked you to come in and do another five squats on Tuesday, it's kind of like, are you serious? And then if I did the same thing with leg extension, it's like, okay, yeah. like, You're so right. quantifying that um, is probably what's going to give you the best outcome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. So, cool. So we know basically now how much work we need to do, where that work is going to come from yeah. in terms of um, exercise, you know, the volume landmarks, exercise types, what those exercise types correlate to in terms of recovery, our fatigue scores. Yeah. So we're able to put that whole piece together. Um we're understanding that there's different periods for a strength focused client. Yeah. Um, and then starting to consider that for hypertrophy as well. <clears throat> the problem with hypertrophy is there's like so many different ways to approach your training. Like it's not just strength um, or like hypertrophy strength peak. Yeah. Like it's a little bit more complicated than that. So yeah. um, that's probably not something you would quantify. That would just be more intelligent thought when you put in the process. Put program together. Yeah. 
So now we need to think about um, frequency and densities. Now, um, we have a frequency model that's deliberate for the strength programming side of things, yeah. um, which we'll dive into, I guess, first and then dive into the hypertrophy stuff. So just thinking logically, um, the more experienced you are as an athlete, the more frequently you can do stuff um, and recover from. Yep. Uh, if you think about maybe like even just going for a run, if you went for a run, or if, if Jay, let's talk about Jay still in the leg day, because um, I just want to bring it up again. <laughs> I don't ever want to bring it up again. So if Jace had to come and done that exact same workout, say six, seven days later, the soreness he's going to feel the following time is not going to be as bad. Hmm. And if he was to continue to train at that level for a long period of time, that workout's actually going to be, if anything, too easy. Yep. So he'd be able to increase the frequency that he trains like that. He could probably add in a second session that's the same and be able to recover over a period of time. Yes. So the better your recovery score typically means the more frequently you can perform the movements from a strength standpoint. Yep. So, um, and then there's the considerations to the movements themselves. So obviously you can bench more often than you can do anything else yep. because there's less load involved, um, less systemic fatigue just based on the actual loading of the movement. You're yep. supported on a bench um, is, is a big part of that. Yep. The, the travel this is a big part of that. So work done is a lot lower, loads are lower, everything's obviously a little bit easier. Next would be like squats and rows. Um, so we kind of equate the two to be similar in fatigue because using grip strength during the row, which tends to be quite fatiguing on nervous system and things like that, um, loads with squat patterns are usually quite high. Yeah. So they're kind of a similar frequency typically, and then the deadlift patterns are going to be the least frequent. So yeah. typically I will never have anyone pull from, I shouldn't say never, very rarely would I have someone pulling from the floor more than once a week. Yeah. Um, but then adding in frequency doesn't just mean how often you're doing the comp lifts. It's how often are you doing any version of that. So whether it's prime accessory compound or isolation, yeah. how many times a week are you hitting that pattern? Yeah. Um, so if you want to do a light leg curl every day, that means you're doing a very high frequency in that section. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how that plays out. Um, we've obviously got this all mapped out pretty much in a spreadsheet because that's all we do because no one makes spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> um, which basically once you put in the recovery score um, for the strength one, then you can just tell it what phase you're in yeah. um, and it'll actually break all that down, which is, which is pretty cool. We're moving up, clipping stuff on now. I'm just sick of it rubbing on my <laughs> my jacket. So obviously frequency and density we talked about earlier with the physique stuff, kind of self-regulating by the fact that we're going to have an increase in capacity to train and we're going to have a limited amount of sets we can do per workout. So over time, yeah. you're going to increase your training frequency. Yeah, and I think, I think that... Training for hypertrophy, um, training close to that proximity of failure in your training because it elicits the greatest response from a growth perspective. You you want to train as frequently as possible without seeing a decrease in performance. So you want to you want to be lifting tr relatively true to your percentage one RM for whatever rep range it is, 
Um, and you can do it frequently as long as you still maintain that level of performance. Like we've, I don't know if you've done, I've done it in the past, but it's like pick the frequency up and it's good for two weeks. And then after that, you just do a month of shit workouts. Yeah. And it's like the accumulated volume load is the only reason you'll get gains because you just do enough sets and reps to get some hypertrophic value from those reps. Yeah. But it's nowhere near enough compared to what you could have yeah. if you just monitored your frequency better and went, okay, cool. So instead of doing this uh, three or four times a week, let's drop it down to two yeah. and you know maybe make those sessions a little more dense. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just give everything you've got for these sessions and let's have a period of cover and go again. It's yeah, entirely reflective on like how you can get the most out of that person to perform yeah. and manage their, how, how fatigued they get. That actually ties into the strength stuff too. And this is a, just a reminder that like these are starting points yeah. um, and that there are going to be, if you're listening to this and you, you're like, oh, sometimes you need to do all bench sessions and sometimes you need yeah. to do this. It's like, yeah, yeah, sometimes you do. 100%. Uh, but this is a really great quantifiable starting point that will allow you to find out that you do. Um, yeah, and I guess if you're if you're overreaching too early though, mm-hmm. you miss the mark. That's right. Yeah, so uh, um, we talk about evaluating data or assessing data later. Yeah. But yeah, we're just thinking about the initial setup. It's like, yeah, you don't really want that person like in the first two to three to four weeks, like maxing out yeah. in their rep ranges. It's like, you know, we started too high. Yeah. No, we're not, we're not there yet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, I've actually gone to a more dense model myself for things like my elbows were getting sore from low bar squatting a lot. Yeah. So then benching a lot was like, eh, let's just have, um, I think I was benching three times a week. I went to a really heavy focused push session with a, another day that was more like, I guess, into that compound isolation range Yeah, and tr- trained the stimulus again, but not at a very high intensity. And that allowed me to keep squatting while only benching a certain period of time. So yeah. you still need to make educated calls throughout that. But yeah. like I said, this is going to work for most people most of the time and give you the feedback and data. So instead of just going, well, I think that we should do a high density model, you can go, the data says that yeah. we should do a increase or decrease density frequency kind of model. Yeah, knowing your athlete is important too, especially like some of my clients, I tend to find that if I disperse the legwork over the week, uh, uh, that gets met with like high favoritism. Yeah. But when it comes to the upper body stuff, I can just kind of go, yeah, cool, two days a week. Yeah. And I don't hear any um, pushback from that. <laughs> but if I go, all right, we're going to do two dense leg days, uh, there seems to be a lot of uh, constructive criticism, I'll call it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then again, um, I got a couple of clients and they've got really big, really strong legs. Yeah. And there, there's no. There's no pushback, no matter what it is. Mm. So I guess it's more you just know your client, know the strengths, yeah. know where they're proficient and know where they're not. Um, you're there to just kind of fill the gaps, and that's what the program's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of this whole model is to give you the starting point for that. And yeah. if you're newer to the industry, say than you and I, and you're not necessarily seeing those cues. Yeah, it's being able to see it on paper, which allows you to make the calls. Yeah. 
So, all right, so we've covered, we know how much we're training, we know what exercises we're making up that training from, we know how often we're going to do those exercises yeah. um, to a point. Then we need to think about how we periodize that. Yeah. So whether that be periodization we're going to talk about today is more in terms of like your micro mesocycle periodization, not yeah. necessarily mesos on mesos into a block. Yeah. So what we mean by that is like your micro cycle is basically a week. Yeah. Um, your mesocycle is the program. Yeah. And then your block is your group of programs. Yeah. Um, so micro, micro periodization would be something like we've talked about on the podcast before, which was like um, undulating. We've actually moved across to reps and reserve from RPE. Yeah. Um, just because that's what the research kind of talks in. And it's easier. Yeah. Just hard to say if you've been. Yeah. I can't say reps and reserve. RIR. RIR. Yeah. RIR. Um, I'm not even going there. If I put it in that with that sauce, <laughs> it's not to be said on the podcast. That sauce. <laughs> um, so, from a strength standpoint, periodization ties in with your experience slash strength level, yep. typically more around the strength standards. So, initially, um, I like an undulating reps and reserve scheme. So, like. Yep. Increasing up, um, I usually do this in a, a six-week meso, so a six-week program, yeah. isolated program. So it'll be, say, for example, um, 8, 9, 10, 8, 9, 10. Most people don't actually go to a 10, so it's closer and more really to like a, no, sorry, that I'm talking about RPE numbers. So that would be three reps in reserve, two, two reps, reps in reserve, one, one reps in reserve uh, would be the ideal, and then you repeat that for the second one. Gives you really quantifiable data as to did you get stronger from reps in reserve one on week three versus reps in reserve one on week yep. six. If you did, we made progress. If you didn't, we did something wrong. We missed the mark. Um, so that's nice and easy. Most people kind of, I think it goes up to about, just off the top of my head, it's roughly four times body weight. Um, for yep. your powerlifting total will be in that range. Yeah. Once you get stronger than that, um, Basically, you get to a level of strength that doing a reps and reserve of zero or one on squat, bench, and deadlift in the same week is just going to fry you. Smoke you. So yeah. then we need to start. Um, the, the next one is a two-weekly rotation. It's like bi-weekly. Yeah. So we do, um, I think it's, it's medium, medium weight squat, medium weight bench press with heavy, a high weight game. deadlift. Yeah. The flip the next week or so heavy squat heavy bench uh, lighter de medium deadlift which makes sense logically deadlift has the highest recovery bench press has the least yep. squats in the middle so we can do bench and squat the same week and be okay deadlift we do it the other week and allow the other things to kind of come together yeah so that's the second stage then your third stage is actually playing that out over a month um i'm not going to try and recall that off the top of my yeah. head but basically, it's then spreadsheet guys. Yeah, <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, but basically, then you're introducing lightweight days. So yeah. you might have like light, light bench, heavy deadlift, moderate squat, as yeah. an example, um, for week one, and then week two, three, and four, and that'll actually be a four week block. Yeah, um, played out that way. So, but you're talking about very strong humans at that point. Yeah, that need that type of uh, approach. Yeah. Yeah, I used it for my peak for comp last year. 
Um, it worked really well just because I was like really progressing quickly into numbers I haven't hit before. Yeah. Um, so it was just like, just more so like joints and stuff like that weren't recovering as fast as yeah muscle. <laughs> so it was like, all right, I need longer to recover from this work. Yeah, I think even uh, when I was moving like massive numbers to last year, um, or wherever it was, it's a long time ago now. Um, <laughs> the yeah, just like trying to come back and do it again, mm. like every week on the week. It's yeah. like I was thinking about it three days before I had to yeah. do it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so I like the idea of just regulating the loads that are still relevant to the right, in, the right into level of effort. Yeah, I'm just going nuts over there. Hey. Um, just regulating ro- loads relative to a percentage of effort, and then yeah, the, like the next week going back up to that intensity that's you know like near max effort, and yeah. then having a period where you drop it down and going up again. I just think it's a longevity thing as well. It's really important. Yeah, psychologically, it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, um, to know that like I can bury the shit out of this squat day because the deadlifts the next day or a couple of days aren't. Um, that's like, fatiguing. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, going to take my soul. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, there's only so much soul you can give yeah. a week. Yeah. yeah. So periodization from a hypertrophy standpoint is obviously a little different. Yes. Um, so how do we kind of go about that? So like, I think we want to establish like why we would want to periodize the program. Like, and even for you, like for the strength guys, it's just like modulating intensity to I guess modulate fatigue or like try and uh, monitor fatigue but there's probably times in both instances where you really do want to drive a large amount of work and get the stimulus really high training with the idea of like us bringing things back down and you know the body doing its thing and super compensating and coming out the other side with more gains yep so if we look at it from a hypertrophy perspective like there's what are the ways in which we can increase overload? Like what are the variables that we're working with to make things subjective, uh, subjectively and objectively harder for the athlete? Yeah. More objective than subjective, I guess. So you've got intensity, so weight on the, the bar or weight on the machine or whatever. Yeah. You've got volume, so how many sets in a session or a week that that person's working with. Um, and then I guess like you could potentially maybe rotate RIR, um, which is still kind of rotating intensity. So, yeah. so they're the main ones that I'm really going to work with um, over a mesocycle with a client. So if they're new to training, I'd rather just modulate intensity or regulate intensity. So I'm like, cool, just start with this weight, get to uh, this proximity of failure, which usually start a program out at about three to four. Uh, I kind of get a bit generous though. I, I kind of like to start it at two mm-hmm. because no one gets anywhere near two. Yeah. And then I'm, like I, we auto-regulate over the program and then like I kind of draw them back from that Yeah. because they end up failing. And then I'm like, okay, so we flew too high and pull it back. Yeah. But anyway, just module, uh, reg- like uh, intensity is really important. So just getting them to just put weight on the bar. Yeah. I think that's the best place, uh, especially for a beginner. Mm-hmm. Then after that, it's like once you get someone who – you know, week one of the program can just walk in and go, cool, I know how much I need to lift. Um, hit a base point of that and then, you know, hit, even modulate um, intensity or increase intensity over a couple of weeks. But once they get to a sticking point, 
not necessarily increasing weight anymore, it starts to increase work elsewhere. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so could we add more sets? Yeah. Could we add more reps? So that's what I was going to go with before. Yeah. So it's like uh, volume load. So it's like how many sets and reps are we going to be working with? So there's a couple of things we can do. So you can take like a linear approach of volume. So you can just under, like you know, each week accumulate volume and then drop it down. Um, or you can undulate, which is, you know, like you would do with the RPE or yeah. the RIR. Um, so it's like go up, um, drop it down a little bit, and go up again. But when you drop it down the second time, the starting point in terms of intensity, weight, is greater than the first week, is stronger. And then you're going to finish at a higher rate. So then your sets times reps times weight is greater. So that's another way of like getting, you know, overload, yeah. for example. So it's a couple of different ways to do it. I tend to like uh, driving volume. I just know you can take that shit too far. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, or you can do it too quickly. Mm-hmm. So you go right every week, we'll just add a set. a set to every exercise. And like that can be a bit much for people. So depending on the client, depending on the training age, depending on the goal, maybe just adding one set to one exercise and the outcome of the previous program too like yeah. if they if if you sat them at like the same sets per week for a whole program and just they linearly got stronger from skill acquisition um increased capacity to contract the available muscle increased yeah. muscle mass increased body weight over that phase and you don't actually have to touch anything so no. the next program is like cool we just run linear oh yeah. that's not working now cool, let's add some sets or let's add... Yeah, it's like a lot more reactive. Or whatever. can be a lot more reactive, uh, yeah. especially I'm, work, I'm moving towards that now, especially with this, I guess, like, slash prescriptive, slash intuitive per model we're yeah. playing with, um, where you start with a linear approach because weight on the bar is king. Mm-hmm. And then once you get that glass ceiling, once you hit that glass ceiling, yeah. starting to think about other parameters that get like sets times reps times load greater. Yeah. So it's just adding them in as you need to. And I feel like the consequences of overshooting for a physique client are less damaging than overshooting for a uh, strength client. Like we talked about with Thomas last week, how he was like, eh, if they don't seem like they need a deload, I'll take one anyway. Yeah. Um, and I would be the same with a strength kind of client. Yeah. Whereas from a hypertrophy standpoint, usually I just see a stall in progress. Um, yeah. Which is like, cool, have a rest, have some food and go again. Um, yeah. Whereas like, if you burn someone out from strength, usually they get hurt. Yeah. And I don't see that as much from a physique client, yeah, depending yeah. on the programming and the phase yeah, and stuff. Yeah, client exercise selection. I guess like, I could still say it's the same, they say it's different. Yeah. yeah. I th- maybe just because they're in, typically they're in a higher rep range. So it's like, yeah. The ability, yeah, to, the light, maybe the likelihood of them getting really hurt. Yeah, potentially like the, the weight weight on the bar doing three sets of ten squats versus the weight on the bar doing five sets yeah. of three. Yeah, like the likelihood of you getting hurt is a lot less, and if you do it's a lot, it's not quite as bad. Yeah, um, it's and it usually just presents in like I'm no longer getting stronger or bigger or like my sleep's affected or something like that. And it's yeah. like okay, deload where strength can just sometimes be like. Yeah. Oh, I broke or yeah, like I'm cooked and the recovery from being cooked seems to be longer from that systemic type fatigue um, in a strength program than it does from a high coach few ones. Like, yeah. I've burnt out physique clients before and just be like, cool, have two high days this weekend, um, yeah, eat a pizza, have some down. sleep. Yeah. And then like almost by the Monday, they're like, I'm ready. Whereas like 
I've driven some people into some holes with strength programming. It's like, it's sluggish for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, it can be a little more reactive maybe. Like yeah. you can, like us, I, I still would set a deload at the end of the program. And if I don't, if we haven't gotten, or if I know the deload is supposed to be around the corner and the subjective data is not where it's supposed to be, it's like, oh, so you're feeling really good. Weight's still going up on the bar. You still feel like there's some left. Then maybe the following week it'll be like, okay, so let's get, let's drop the RIR to, you know, from three to two, for example, which would increase the percentage load. Yeah. Or let's increase the volume like by adding another set or something. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't hit it, um, and they still feel okay. I probably still would deload them if I'm being very honest, because I, I'm kind of piecing together in my head that not flying right underneath the sun because you'll get burnt more often is probably better than just flying up to the sun, getting torched and then flying back yeah, down to cool off. Yeah. So I probably would just in my real conservative mindset go, cool. I'd rather get, I don't know, say, 42 weeks out of a client working at 80% of their one RM, let's just say, for yeah. example, yeah. then spend maybe 20 um, at 90, yeah. 95, 100%. Um, just from the likelihood of them getting hurt, um, mental fatigue, I think just motivation, like yeah. training that intensely all the time can really go like be the reason why you can't be fucked on in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm definitely all about training hard. Yeah. I just think that if you can draw a line through training hard, and training um, yeah, yeah, and it's like, cool, this is kind of where we want to be. And then every now and then it's like, go push yeah. the boundaries a little bit, yeah. but know that with extreme highs come extreme lows, mm-hmm. not extreme highs, then back to high. Yeah. It's like high, yeah. then low, mm-hmm. level the line out, yeah. go again. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that, I guess, covers the deload stuff. So we keep referring back to this data, the data. So data I want to look at on a weekly basis is obviously adherence. Um, so making sure they're getting all the workouts in, they're eating their food correctly, um, all that type of stuff. Yeah. Then I'll look at the workout performance. Did you get stronger than last week? Did you is your current reps in reserve? prescribed matching your previous reps and reserve prescribed um, or, or better. So for example, like when you did um, three reps and reserve in the first part of the program, is this time you're doing it again now in the fourth week, more weight than what you did week one? Yeah. Um, cool. Then the program's working, lifting more weight, or even just like going from three reps to two reps in reserve. Did you actually include, increase how much weight you're doing? Yeah. Looking at that, um, then I'll come down to uh, more subjective data. So yeah. my clients will write down every time they go into the gym will be how many hours of sleep they had the night before, how much water they've had in 24 hours, energy out of 10, mood out of 10. Yeah. So then I'll be looking at, okay, during that, um, say that one to zero reps in reserve week, whatever it is at their peak of that program, I actually want to see some signs of fatigue. Uh, yeah. So you're talking about like getting close enough to the sun. Yeah. So are you 
complaining sleep's not quite as good or your mood's shifted a little bit or your energy's not quite there as it used to be, as it like was, um, is there a, a sign that there's some drop off? Yeah. Then it's like, okay, you took it too far and you can't sleep and your mood's fucking pitiful and you, that's actually affected your performance now. And those two are correlating together. It's like, that's too much work. Yeah. If there's zero sign of anything and you just feel a thousand percent all the time, if you're serious, so like for my competitors, I wouldn't be happy with that. Um, if you're just in the gym because you like to train, cool, that's great. Like feel great all the time. Yeah. I get it. You're not there to beat yourself up. But if you have a serious goal and outcome, then I want to see some kind of stress yeah. before we need yeah. it because that's why the deal is built into the program. If that yeah. makes sense. Um, so that's the main stuff. Then at the end of the program, I'll evaluate how the program works. So pretty much looking at, did you get stronger? Yeah. Um, obviously, most of my clients, um, my whole push on social media at the moment is like, get strong and lean. Um, so most of my yeah, clients have cool. power builders. Yeah. Yeah. So most of my clients have hashtag power <coughs> um, strength and compositional goals, yeah. not just strength goals. So weighing up, how do they go with their nutrition? waist measurement, hip measurement, full body, body yeah. weight, all that type of stuff. Did they actually improve that side of things? Then, okay, what happens on their highest intensity week, first time, highest intensity week, second time, yeah. or throughout the program, was there a, a measurable increase? Yes. How are they feeling? What did they like about the program? What did they not like about the program? Um, that type of stuff. Yeah. And then move on to the next program from there. So if they're not showing improvement and all their numbers are perfect, programs are hard enough. If they're not showing improvement, energy's up and down, mood's up and down, have a chat, what's going on outside of the gym. Yeah. Make sure that that stuff's all cool. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's sweet. Okay, so it's probably the program. I need to back things off a little bit. Yeah. Um, I told a story on a podcast before, like one of my guys getting like two weeks out from the liftoff, he's like, I don't want to train, I don't want to get to bed, I hate life, everything's fucked, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, program is too hard, you shouldn't feel like this. Um, one week in the deload, and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, feel I right. want to train again. Um, so making those kind of decisions, and then for me, that just meant like, I dropped his recovery score by two points, I think, Yeah. and every program I wrote after that stayed there, and everything was perfect, then I had an issue again. Yeah. So, that's where making adjustments over time and using this as like, this is your starting calories, for example. Yeah. Um, are you losing or gaining weight? Cool, make a change. This is your starting recovery score. Are you progressing or are you not? Make a change. Yeah. You, if it's perfect, sweet, leave it the same. Yeah. Um, so data from a physique um, standpoint? They're pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, I think that you're probably looking at uh, like that total load volume again, like sets times reps times weight. Mm -hmm. So the program's conditionally formatted so that if the number's greater than the session before, it goes green. Yep. So then they're just like, did you outperform us yep. last week? Um, <laughs> subjective data is like, yeah, fatigue, motivation, sleep, all those things, they're conditionally formatted as well.